this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going! Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Thanks for listening to The World We Deserve, the officially unofficial podcast for HBO's True Detective Anthology, brought to you by Bald Move. This podcast covers Season 2, Episode 2, titled Night Finds You. The war was lost. The treaty signed. I was not caught. Across the line, I was not caught, though many tried. I live among you, well disguised. Ray, Annie, and Paul are unleashed on the Casper murder case, each with their own conflicting motive. Ray is there to control the information, while Annie is there to solve the case. During their investigation, they talk to Casper's psychiatrist, but it's a lead from Frank about Casper's second home that really pays off. Ray visits the home, where the killer in the crow mask shoots him twice with a shotgun. Frank finds out that Casper not only lied to him about the cost of the railway deal, but that he never finalized the paperwork with Catalyst. Completely broke and thoroughly pissed off, Frank sets out to recover his cash. So we're two episodes in now, and uh, the show is either growing on you or it's not. How did you feel about this second episode? Uh... I was blown away. Like I thought that killing Ray at the end was brilliant and it got my pulse pounding in a way that it, this, you know, it kind of engaged me viscerally in a way that yeah. this season hadn't yet, which, you know, it's two episodes in. So whatever. <laughs> sure. Sure. Um, I thought that Vince Vaughn really sold me on his character with the, uh, you know, speech he gave about being locked in the basement. Uh-huh. But Water I speech. super surprised to see that was polarizing. I thought I was going to go and read universal praise no. for just how the, well that that scene sold. But Alan Seppenwall thought it was more of, uh, this is just proof that Vince Vaughn can't <laughs> hang with this material. He's no Matthew McConaughey. And I'm not, look, Alan Seppenwall's my hero. Like, I don't, not yeah. I, he's not an idiot. And he's a very good television critic. So I'm not discounting what he has to say, but it's like I was saying on the forums, like at some point with subjective art, yeah, you, you, you end up with like Almond Joy fans screaming to Mounds fans about how each other's are stupid and their relative opinion of almonds and whatnot. And it's like, sure. How do you, you know, who's right and who's wrong? I guess it's like what it is to you, but that scene really grabbed me. I thought it was really interesting how they set up the core conflict of the three different, you know, detectives that have three different agencies behind them with three different motives and how they did that in the context of the coroner scene. I thought that was a really interesting way to, like, bring all those narratives together. Yeah, things that we kind of got hints at in the first episode. Yeah. They're they're setting up to be more structurally important. Yeah. Um, and I, I feel like that's kind of where this episode shined for me. Yeah. Um, is the plot. You know, it's it's coming around the bend and you can kind of see the uh, a portion of it. Right. And you think you have a good idea of where it's going. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff on Reddit where people have talked about where it might be going and how all these dots connect. And I think they have a good kind of core theory that we're going to talk about later. Oh, no, our Psycho Seer segment is super lively. Yeah. And 
And, and so that's where that's the thing that's really hooking me now about yeah. this series. Because fuck me, the dialogue in this show irks me to no end. I cannot stand the dialogue. What about the dialogue is giving you a problem? Because I kind of... It's not connecting me to characters. It's making me feel like no one is a real human being in this show. Because of the highfalutin way they talk? It's not necessarily highfalutin. It's so stylized that... I Like, even if you're, you're living amongst, I don't know, literary students and philo- philosophical students, people don't talk like this, ever. This is the stuff that is reserved for books, long form type of stuff where you can wrap your head around what's going on before, like this kind of dialogue before you move on to the Mm. next piece of it. And I feel like it doesn't really work in this format. How is it different? Okay, so you must have hated Deadwood. I haven't seen Deadwood. Okay, I'm going to predict that you'll hate Deadwood. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Because if you like kind of, I mean, is it is it just almost Shakespearean or neo-Shakespearean or I'm trying to get to the core. It feels like there are a lot of ideas. Like every idea that Nick Pizzolatto has ever read and ever Uh come up with is shoved into the mouths of these characters. Mm. And I I just, just does not ring true to me at all. And therefore I can't connect with these characters and I'm not interested in their drama nearly as much as I should be. Hmm. What did you think of the mayor character? Are you, do you especially hate him? Because I found that his... He's got, you know, the same kind of problems with his dialogue, yeah. But I really enjoyed his character, and I enjoyed the, his delivery. And I, I guess I don't have a problem with the read. Sometimes I think the readings are are a problem. Like Vince Vaughn's, you know, you worry me, you talking that stupid from the first episode. I thought that was a little stilted. Um, but I found a lot less dialogue mm-hmm. problems. Um, the times I thought that the characters were weird and creepy, I think that was intentionally so. Like, uh, you know, the psychiatrist. Oh, yeah, yeah. I don't have a super big problem with him, actually. Mm. I think a creepy psychiatrist in this setting is totally cool. Mm. Um, and that's some of the interesting stuff I find about the plot. Um, some of these characters are stereotypical in a way that I kind of find interesting, you know, like... You think of Hollywood and you think of Los Angeles and you think of, you know, a lot of really rich and powerful people who can be kind of messed up, you know, and they have these kind of places that they go to where they get a cosmetic surgery, Mm -hmm. B, they get a lot of uh, their wisdom and life advice from. And I think those are really interesting parts of that culture that are not very well explored. And and that this show is starting to do really well, but like the the regular ass characters, the people we've seen in other stuff, um, like is this a robot dick problem? Like because what did you think? I mean, of I the... didn't like that line particularly, but that's not the line that does it. Okay, I mean it's it's lines like, you know, when when he's talking about psychedelics, that that judge or that mayor guy you're talking about, uh-huh. when he's talking about psychedelics, he uses language that is describing a thing, but in a way that is so esoteric as to be almost indecipherable now jim regular people don't use words like esoteric so i'm gonna have to have a problem with your dialogue (laughs) the stilted manner in which you deliver it if i use that in every (laughs) sentence maybe so maybe so um yeah i i don't know i mean it's i it's not the words they're using either it's the way they're combined i I get it and i i kind of want to watch make you watch some deadwood just to see whether you (laughs) like shrink into a ball and disappear like I think maybe the setting House might help Poltergeist there. House style. Or... Like, this is this is ostensibly a realistic modern-day setting, right? 
Oh, but October no, but... 2015 with cops and criminals, and these people are talking like they're in a book. I get like it. Like they're in a Tolstoy novel. Like, it's fucked, it, it, man. No way did people in the West ever talk the way they do on Deadwood. Oh, either. okay. So right. I, that's what I'm saying. Like, I think it's a pretty good analog. Yeah, I don't. I don't have that problem. Um, a couple of the problems I do have is, uh, you know, Paul's character. How you, you know, the one way that seems to the way that we're intended to interpret this character is that he is your stock issue, self loathing homophobic closeted gay man yeah yeah but i also saw some interesting takes on reddit where someone was postulating that um perhaps another alternative way because you know we we met uh paul's mother Mm -hmm. and she is this nightmare combination of like kim bassinger from or basinger from uh eight mile and (laughs) jillian darmandy from boardwalk empire Mm, yeah and and what is it with hbo and incest man they love it they Can't fucking love it. They mm-hmm. love it. Like even season <laughs> season one, True Detective is all about the it's edgy. You know, a lot of sister sex. A lot of other networks won't go there. I just thought it was weird when she says it's been five years since you you made flowers on me, Paul, <laughs> Polly, oh, and, and that was a little much for me. Little little too referential there, uh, Nick P. Yeah. Uh, but a lot of people are saying that you know if if you take that. And and you look at his kind of like uh, reflexive homophobia, and also his kind of wistful looking at the uh, the gay men. I guess they could have been escorts. It seemed like it, yeah. When he's looking out the off his balcony at the yeah, the car the that drops guys, the guy the, off on the, the corner. The two dudes dressed up as cupids. Um, they definitely had, you know, my gaydar was going off, and I think sure, we're intended yeah. to see that he is has a little bit more complex feelings about that. And someone thought. Maybe what we'll end up finding out is that his mother, you know, in her, I mean, it, it, she seems like a one of those like mooching off of civilization type per, piece, kind of waste of skin. Mm. Like she can't get her shit together. Yeah. She's, you know, cheating on social support and all this other stuff that in a moment of desperation, she turned out her teenage son to male prostitution. Okay. Or maybe see he that, himself yeah. went that route to uh, help take care of her. And now he's got these like really confused sexual feelings and, yeah. you know, or, or, or maybe he's almost asexual now because you have that ex- you know, unpleasant experience of being forced to sell your body at a young age. And, and I think I, I kind of hope they're going to that because I don't know that I care to see him punch out some gay dudes and work out his issues. I mean, it seems you know? like that's the way they're going, though. Like That's the less interesting way to go. a self-loathing homosexual homophobe, mm-hmm. which is, you know, it's kind of tropey. It's it is kind very of, tropey. I, yeah, especially amongst the, the cop world, right? Like, yeah. Amongst it, the tough guys. And they have, it, I, and have the old, like, worthless sack of skin cop be the Dixon. one to call him on it. <laughs> Dixon. Fucking Dixon, man. I, like, it's like the old crusty dudes, the ones like, take that homophobic shit and preach it in another shop dude you know it's like that is kind of i don't know if that's interesting or edgy or that's just stupid i don't know Uh, before we get to the plot i actually uh, was hipped um by members of our forums that the vinci is based on a real life town called vernon california and it's this incorporated uh city that has 95 people living in it Uh uh-huh I guess it's like sprawled to 200 in the last six years. Oh, jeez. So, most recent census. Metropolis. Yeah. Uh, and it's as presented on this show. It's it's even weirder, actually, because um, in like 2006, there's this big public corruption investigation. Um, 
centered around the city's mayor, uh, Leonis Malberg, which fucking sounds like a character from a Nick Pizzolatto Seems production, like right? Malberg, like I'm sure that's yeah. German for bad mayor uh, <laughs> or bad city or something like that. Uh-huh. But um, so this guy was the mayor of this town for 50 years, ran in unopposed in all wow. the elections. Before that, his grandfather, the original Leonis, who has um, some of these like streets in the city named after him, uh, was also the mayor. Rolling back to the time that it was incorporated as you know huh. this this little hustle and bustle town, this kind of and and they had a lot of weird like pro business things. For example, like mm-hmm. massive tax breaks. They actually built and maintained their own power plant and water plant to offer businesses rates up to 50% cheaper than you could get anywhere else in California to have them move in and to have them do their dirty business. And I, there's like big scandals about this battery company was dumping arsenic and lead into the waterways Mm -hmm. and undocumented, you know, uh, illegal immigrants. And like, you know, like they, they mentioned out in the, the, the episode that this like uh, sweatshop type stuff, heavy manufacturing, 60 to 70,000 people work in the day. A hundred people live there. It's just really, really strange. And like California has been waging this battle to unincorporate it for like 20, 30 years and because of powerful business influences and also support of the labor unions, they're able to defeat it each time. Like they, they've even like California has tried to pass like we are going to un- unincorporate any town that has less than 150 population. The only town, the only city in California that meets that criteria is is Vernon. But it's kind of cool. And there's actually huh. a, a new podcast uh, called Welcome to Vinci. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is put on by KPCC, which is the Southern California's NPR public radio station. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of talking a lot about the similarities between the fictional town of Vinci and the real-life town of Vernon. But, you know, there seems to be a lot of, you know, we're going to talk about the Psychosphere segment. Um, but stuff we already know, he's taken a lot of real-life inspiration. Vinci is real-life Vernon. Black Mountain is probably going to be a real life analog to Blackwater, mm-hmm. the military subcontractors, and then there's there's another one at this Polynesian Pineapple Institute uh, uh-huh. that I'm never going to pronounce this whole fucking season. That that is kind of we're going to get into the psychosphere that I just blew my blew my mind blew my mind. Hmm, okay, that's interesting. I, I like the idea that sometimes reality is stranger than fiction. In, you know? in indeed i guarantee that you go to vernon and they aren't speaking like this though <laughs> <laughs> they probably speak some weird uh pennsylvania dutch dialect this is all mm, yeah. founded by uh renegade amish back in the 1890s well the mayor of this town is jewish apparently i guess is he how do you some, how do some you of the language he uses is oh, jewish really? or not jewish i don't even know Yiddish? what the term is yeah i guess so slavic i was looking oh. up some of the the italicized uh, words that he uses in the captions yeah 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 and yeah they were they were used frequently by jews so mm, i don't know i don't know feels kind of stereotypical and slurry to have an evil jewish ma- corrupt mayor <laughs> I mean, what the fuck what the fuck nick sure uh sure. but no that's what i thought i thought that was really interesting yeah all right let's talk about the plot um this is the part that's really hooking me man okay and stuff with bird heads and sex dungeons and murder victims with their eyes 
full of acid. What all of this stuff is kind of cool. So let's talk about the setup that I alluded to in the intro about these three detectives have been assigned this case. And yeah, yeah. it seems like all their marching orders are we need you to steer this. We mm-hmm. need you to be the one taking point. We need blah blah blah. For different reasons. For different reasons. And like to different ends. And the only one that seems like they're uncompromised is Annie. Yeah. Paul is like, um, you know, if you do this thing, we're going to get you out from underneath this Black Mountain stuff. We're going to get you out from underneath this bullshit blowjay assignment. Yeah. We're going to uh, make you a detective after all this, which I guess is a big promotion. And he doesn't want it. He wants to go back to bikes later on in an, in an argument with his girlfriend. He seems to be saying, oh, I can make a detective. I don't know if that's to appease her. Yeah, or, I'm not sure. I mean, that kind of is how I'm reading it now. But the cool part of that is the state versus the city, right? Yes. Like that's that's the state side of the equation. The city side of the equation is also working for their own purposes. What's well, so you got the, you also got the county in there too. Yeah, yeah, through Annie. So it's mm-hmm. like a three-way clusterfuck, which for yeah. I guess if there's uh foreign listeners, that's kind of how it works. Like you got you do you uh-huh. have the fed I mean maybe the feds will come in next episode there and you'll you have a four-way <laughs> clusterfuck. Uh-huh. But you got the state whose only real jurisdiction of this is because one of their state troopers happened to find the body. Yeah. Then you got the county, which, you know, obviously they can supervise stuff that goes on in the the town. And then you've got the the city itself. But, you know, the city, uh, the mayor is telling Ray that he needs to control the sprawl. (laughs) Control the information. Yeah. But but control the sprawl was what perked my ears up because that's how Russ described the pervasive corruption from top to bottom of the Louisiana Police Department and government agencies and religious institutions and it started, you know, I, I I don't know that Nick is ever going to tie all these seasons together. Although, yeah, who says no to next season three, Ray and uh, Matthew McConaughey and, and, and yeah. Russ teaming up? Sure. Get the Ray, the double R's, I, the I can, Reading Railroad. I, I would watch that. Sure. Um, but it's interesting that they tie that together because a lot of his preseason interviews seem to be like, hey, I'm getting away from this occult stuff. I'm getting this is going to be kind of more of a straightforward uh, pot boiler detective thing. Is that to reset expectations? I don't know, because when we get into this, when we start huffing the psychosphere. Yeah, I it 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 belies a lot of that. And maybe he's putting this stuff in as a joke, which it's not going to play well with me. I don't know. Ooh, yeah. Like if it turns out to be just a like traditional pot boiler, a fucking bird head guy is a yeah. joke with like references nod to Egyptian to... God. And mm. you've got this. It, I can't see that being the case, but it it, it might. I don't know. I mean, I, it could be that this is like literally not the occult. Like, okay, we're not got a king in yellow. We've just okay. got like a zodiac type serial killer. And yeah, here, here's like a freaky sex thing. That's not that's... a that's not an occult thing. That's just someone being weird and deviant. Sure. I don't know. I like the way they set that up too. Um, mm-hmm. Where kind of all these forces are coming together for their different reasons. I... And then you got Frank in the mix, which is also super interesting to me. And where I kind of started to perk up when he was like, I just got fucked out of all this money. This was everything I had. And now I'm on a fucking mission. Like, that's what I wanted to see from Frank, right? Yeah. It also tied in like this, the speech he gave about being locked in his, his basement, which I thought was horrific. And just imagining a, what did he think it was six or 10? Six or ten, what? Years old when he oh. got locked in the basement. Either way, like, I can't imagine going through that and experience. Like, that just makes my my heart hurt for this guy. 
Uh, I don't know how you sure. live a normal life after going through something like that. I guess having that fear in your life the rest of your life, like, what if my dad doesn't come home this time? Well, I mean, I, I feel like that's where the story kind of dovetails into his current life, right? Yeah. Like, you've got this kid who is angry about the way he's being treated. Mm-hmm. He feels the rat gnawing on him, and mm-hmm. he smashes, and he smashes, and he continues to smash. And I feel like that's what he's done his entire life, yeah. is continue to smash. He never learned how to operate in a society that has rules and laws because he just continues to smash things. Well, and that's also out of anger. That also has a kinship with Ray because, you know, Ray gets yeah. all but stripped of his parental rights uh, in this episode. And his ex-wife said the same thing. You've never learned beyond giving beatings. Yeah. Uh, and, and beating <laughs> on society. So it's like it gives him a lot of kinship. Now, I thought what was interesting is how everyone is a complete dick to everyone in this episode. Mm-hmm. Like the mayor is openly contemptuous of this investigation in front of Annie. Uh-huh. Uh, Frank is openly contemptuous of Ray, you know, in front of him. And yeah, like just, <laughs> you know, it's like, who's your best informant? He's like, really? You're at you. are You are my best informant, jackass. And the way they kind of I, I thought there was some dark comedy to that, too. But it seemed like everyone's first instinct was to like, like if I'm Frank and maybe I'm being hopelessly naive. You know, despite my many years of watching the wire, all this as far as how crime works. <laughs> but I feel like if you've got a detective on the inside, a dirty cop, a bent screw, whatever, um, you want to treat him like your lawyer. Like you tell them the gospel truth, everything that they might need to know, whether it's connected or not, to give them the information to succeed. Whereas Frank's like, I need you to solve this thing, but don't ask any questions about what Casper was up to or what I had my money invested into or anything like that. Yeah. That seems like very vital components of something you'd need to investigate. Now, maybe Frank's idea is I'm going to investigate it myself and beat him the leads so I can keep him away from all that. But I don't know. I mean, like, I can kind of understand that viewpoint, too, of like, I'm into some really bad shit. I don't want anybody to find about find out about this. Does does he need that information to solve the case? And yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I think the more information, the better. But also. The more information, the scarier for him, I too, get it. right? Like, yeah, there's definitely that tension. There's a risk-reward sort of mm-hmm. thing going on here. The final one was, what did you think of Ray's decision not to come clean to Annie? Like, she said, he's trying, he, you can tell that oh, he's yeah. like, look, I want to talk about all these wheels and all these pressures that we have on us. And she just asked him a straightforward question, like, how compromised are you? Yeah. And he can't bring himself to, like, he's talking about transparency, but he can't quite get there. Later on, we see him talking about being suicidal well, I, see, and not caring where he lives or dies. So I kind of thought that yeah. maybe, and of course, then he takes buck, buck shot through the chest and gut. But I thought maybe he would take a chance because if this is his last big thing, you know. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I felt like this stuff where he's talking about transparency is his way of trying to find out what she's up to. Like her end of the the bargain here. Oh, so that was dis- that was actually manipulative manipulation. Yeah, and it's interesting because he talks about all this honesty and stuff, right? And it's mm. like at the same time, I don't think he's being honest with her. I yeah, think why? he's trying to figure out. I, yeah, that seems on. an obvious take. I kind of feel stupid for not suspecting that because instead, like I I I took it as a genuine attempt to you know to get yeah, this yeah. stuff out in the light. I just think he's kind of also not very good at being this undercover criminal Hmm. but we know he we also heard by exposition that he's a very good investigator yes yeah he is good at that i just don't think he's good at hiding his true intentions and uh annie susses that out pretty quickly 
you smoked that last week, this whole cat catalyst connection. And we don't know exactly yeah, yeah. where it's going and how it connects with the crow or the raven. Um, yeah. But we did find we did meet with the catalyst exec and found out that Casper was supposed to be taking these millions and millions of dollars and buying in to this real estate deal. And yeah. Frank finds out that he has bought nothing. And and even what he was trying to buy wasn't worth what he paid. Yeah, because he was know? paying 10 and now it's seven. Uh huh. Which... So so that implies like they went half and half. His half was five million. Uh, the guy just walked off with like one point five million of his money, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, you know, we found out how truly desperate he is that he has nothing, even his house yeah. and his casino, which they refer to as the poker house. Yep, uh, are double mortgaged. He owns. He has not a damn thing in the world other than the ten thousand that he held out from the the mayor of Vinci. But we, the the, the core thing of the plot is we found that Casper uh, sees a shrink. For sexual deviancy, he has a, he has a problem with uh, paying a lot of money to young women to have sex with them. Which okay, yeah, that, and I that's, guess that's a problem. That's all this guy's gonna say about it, right? But but we also know that that leads to more destructive behaviors. Yeah, uh, and we also know that at certain points in a month that he circles his red letter days, uh-huh. he goes and withdraws four thousand dollars from a ATM, and then they pulled all of his. GPS information from his either cell phone or maybe he's got some kind of low jack type tracking system on his car. Or maybe that's just part of his job as a government official. But yeah, yeah, they find that on those days, his car does not move. It stays there all day, which is interesting. And also the GPS coordinates show that he goes up to Northern California on the weekends in the Monterey mm-hmm. Fresno area. Um, and then his car is leased by Catalyst. Which is an important point. An important connection. Yeah. There's a maybe a conflict. This isn't that... Because I thought when Frank talked to the Catalyst exec, he seemed pretty sympathetic. Like, look, I see what you're saying. Yeah. But you dealt in cash. It's not You got no receipts. I didn't sell you any property. So you've got... you know, you. know, I thought he, the, the great line was, you're in the unenviable position of being owed money by a dead man. Yeah. But... If Casper's car is being leased by Catalyst, maybe that was there was a little bit of a, you know, Frank saying like, you know, secret handshake muscle type of deal. Yeah, I feel like with all the theories that we're going to talk about in the psychosphere, that's the one place that people are kind of ignoring. Yeah. The one point, the Catalyst connection. Now, the other the other connection that before we get to psychosphere on yeah, you, yeah. is that the psychiatrist, the Beverly Hills uber you know plastic surgeon slash you know you can get your you can get your face stretched and your head shrunk uh-huh. <laughs> one single office visit how convenient yeah this guy knows annie's father yeah who works at the polyponesian pineapple institute uh that they were a part of this hippie cult called the good people that he's familiar with their work and that annie grew mm. up in that compound along with four other girls who are either dead or in prison she mentions at some point that uh, this compound happened in the Gersville, I, 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 Gernville, I think the, it is. The, the Gernsville like area, which is also kind of in that Monterey, I guess, area. I've been doing some, okay. some sleuthing and, and trying to make these map connections. Later on, her partner calls, and she's in the middle of like this, this porno session sure. and, and, and female escort, which I want to talk about here in a minute. Yeah, yeah. But his partner calls and he says, hey, I've followed up some leads on this missing girl. I, I talked to her old college roommate. Uh, this girl called a few months ago and want to know if anyone's looking for her. And you could tell that 
Annie's very preoccupied. I don't even think she's really listening to you because because he says, yeah, it, it, and then a phone call came from a Guernsville address. And she's like, okay, we'll we'll follow this up in the morning. So that puts this good people cult and this missing girl and all this stuff and 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 where this this murder snuff house all in the kind of same geographic area. And that to me says these these same group of people are involved in multiple things going on, both the political corruption and this secret society, right? Possibly, or I mean, one of the things I thought might be interesting is if maybe this stuff is not connected at all, that you mm. got a pretty straightforward political corruption simultaneously mushed up with a sex cult, like some kind <laughs> of some kind of sex cult that this that there, there is a nexus there with Casper, but maybe they're not mm. actually related at all. And would that be interesting to find out? I don't know. If that's I feel like that's interesting. less interesting than than finding out the way in which they are connected. Mm. The, the idea that they wouldn't be connected seems flimsier. Uh, I'll talk about Annie, uh, and her little porn browsing session. I've got some multiple choice for you here. Is she browsing for a lesbian escort service? Because in the shadowy image of her, of of Paul's sexual dysfunction, she's just not into dudes and she's more into girls. I think that's untrue. Wasn't she sleeping with a guy in the first episode? That's what I'm saying. Well, Paul was sleeping. She could be bi. Paul was was sleeping with the the, the hot girl that he broke up with this episode, too. That means nothing. But, but, well, they showed us that he has to have pills to get it up, right? Yeah, and she stormed out of a bedroom session that seemed like it was very, you know, discomforting from all involved. I'm saying that, like, yeah, there's no female boner pill. It didn't feel like she... So what else are they going to do? It didn't feel to me like she didn't want to be there with him. It was more the act that she was doing. Mm was offensive to him or trouble or the yeah okay I, I didn't get that vibe from her all right i'll just say that is she looking for her sister that's through what those i escort thought things? yeah and then is she browsing porn because she's wanting to you know satisfy her sexual urges or is she actually looking through these porn to try to see what her sister is actually up to that's what i thought either way hbo blazing entirely new territory with a blurred out dual penetration sex scene hardcore sex scene in the background i thought that was yeah yeah you know you can't show the whole thing but no i yeah i, I kind of lean towards your interpretation this is somehow connected to her sister she's trying yeah. to figure out what's going on with her sister I, I felt it was more like a monitoring of her sister right like yeah i, I want to make sure that my sister's actually telling me the truth and she's not up to some weird shit hmm. you know like okay she's doing the webcam thing that's one thing is she hooking? being an escort would be because it totally does seem like that yeah. that was a difference like you can make porn and you can masturbate yeah. in front of uh, strangers with a camera but you can't actually exchange money for sex sure it's the difference you know one's legal and one isn't yeah so. <laughs> um but it's also interesting that apparently there's an element of voyeurism in both casper's plot line and yeah. also the murder snuff porn house because it's got exactly. a, a camera hooked up to either a hard drive or perhaps a router so this is actually live streaming to the internet uh looks like a laptop and i think it's super interesting especially with you know the ransacking of his his real house we'll get to that in the psychosphere though <laughs> definitely i think the one other interesting point in the plot is ray's relationship with this kid you know it was extremely strained at the, the in the first episode and we kind of got the vibe that even though ray is is acting like this is his kid he's he knows that it's not and i think there's a little more fuel on that fire in this episode when yeah. he's talking with his ex-wife because he was all in burn the city down mode and when she said paternity test he instantly backed down and i think yeah yeah 
Because later on in the episode, he acts as if he no longer has a child, almost like he died. Like, I had oh. a son, and this, you know, but it seems like when his wife hit him with, he's like, please don't, he's the only thing I have in this world. And she's like, yeah, Ray, you're right. So uh-huh. doesn't he deserve better? That's like a, yeah. what can you say? Yeah, no, she she's right. This guy's a terrible father. And I'm glad that he met immediate consequences to last, like, I'm still surprised there's not actually legal consequences. Like somehow this seemed like it all got brushed over. Legal. Oh, for beating that man senseless. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Yes. For savagely beating the man with brass knuckles. I think that in especially California, you would be put away for a long time and it'd be very easy to do that. Like there's, there's at least two credible witnesses uh, and he's a very distinctive looking person. Yeah. I just wonder if it hasn't caught up with him yet, you know? Like well, but the wheels are in motion, but regardless, the fact that he's met immediate consequences as far <laughs> as visitation, I thought was pretty interesting. And, yeah, yeah. You know, also the fact that um, I thought is, you know, he tried to pin the whole like I killed this guy for you, and she's like, "Don't put that shit on me." Mm-hmm. And also, she said that you used to be a decent guy. She calls him a terrible piece of shit to begin with, but then she goes, "You used to at least be good at pretending like you were a good person." And then something yeah. happened. What happened? What happened at some point between... Maybe he figured it out that this wasn't his kid? Like, I, man, I have a hard time believing that that's not the first, like, you know... The, the, yeah, the thing that pops Nine months later, uh, I was having trouble conceiving with my wife. This kid's got red hair and doesn't look anything like me. Like, that's yeah. got to be in the back of your head from day one. You would think so, yeah. So, I just, like, what is the event that... Mm. And it wasn't... It, they, also, they also talked about the murder of the rapist as if it is a separate event. Um, so I was yeah, wondering, what yeah, is the intervening thing that allowed him to be a good father and a decent man? And it, was it like her divorcing him? Maybe getting caught up with Frank. Maybe Frank made him do some things that. Oh, he had the Godfather scarred him. Like you know that a day might come. Yeah, I wonder if we'll get a flashback where he his first thing that he has to do for Frank is fucking heavy. Yeah, could be. So, but it's got, you know, it's like one of those things where it's like it can't be too heavy because if you, you know, at some point Ray's like, screw you. I'll go to jail. I'll, I'll take my chance with the jury trying to convict me yeah. on on killing a man that raped my wife versus me like blowing up a bus full of orphans. Like what is going to be is it going to be a slow stepping stone type of thing or I don't know, man. I, there's a lot of stuff like when you get mixed up in that underworld. Like Matthew McConaughey's big thing is I saw a junkie shoot up his infant daughter and i snapped and i went blam 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 yeah. and if it wasn't that it would have been a microwave baby or something, yeah, something. along those lines but I, what is the event that broke ray here but like there's a lot of leverage with those the the criminal types who are willing to do anything to you um like i don't know if he cares this much about this kid and frank threatens the kid along with him going to prison along with uh you know his ex-wife there could be some really bad consequences for him and his family, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah, you might not care if you go to jail, but do you care if your kid lives? Do you care if your oh. wife lives, you know? Man, is... Like, the, the I, I was combo, about to say, do you think Frank's punch. that heavy? But then that scene, I thought it was... Like, this is where Vince Vaughn crushes it. That scene where he comes in, hey, buddy, what did yeah. you do? That Just was the, awesome. It was. And I think Vince Vaughn pulled that off. He's very good at that. Well. I, I, and I, again, I I was in love with the bed, you know, the the the, the twin <laughs> acid. Although I wasn't, I thought the water stains itself dissolving right into to Casper's eyes was a bit much. <laughs> eh, 
I like it. It's it's all right. I'll tell you what I think is too much. Oh boy. This girl in the fucking bar singing. Like what? last week I thought it was okay. This week she's back. You know, and what I'm that like, to be the well I'm all to? right. Next week she comes back. It's gonna be like kill it with fire time. Yeah. Because I just like who who has this girl come by? <laughs> like this seems like a Patty's bar type of always sunny a ploy, ploy to make your customers commit suicide. Like that's like yeah. some scheme that the gang is running. Could it be like Ray's got a thing for her music? Like that's just when Ray comes by is when she's playing. <laughs> like I'm going to sit here. I'm going to drink. I'm going to listen to this woman sing. I'm going to wait. Let the scar faced woman hit on me and then turn uh-huh. her down. Yeah. Uh, yeah, which is in, I'm trying to decide whether this girl's supposed to be a major character eventually or not. Like, is she significant to the plot, the Scarface girl? I don't know. I mean, it could be she is visually, physically scarred. Mm. I don't think she is as emotionally scarred as most of these people. Doesn't seem like it. Although yeah. someone's, you know, maybe it's just a car accident. But you know, I see a person sure. like that. I'm thinking, ooh, you've been through some shit. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but I mean, she hell, seems I'd be giving some advice that I'd go on vacation decent. with her. All right. Yeah. Um, she seems like a nice, nice girl. Yeah. Uh, so then, you know, we had a bunch of stuff where Vince went to go, not Vince, uh, Frank went to go talk to some pimp who's, I don't know his name. He's gold teeth. Fuck you guy. Uh, and he gets this lead about Casper. That's the one up on the knuckles, right? Like, yeah, y- you see the guys with fuck you written on their knuckles. Yeah. You yeah. can get that laser removed, but you yeah. get, you get, you get your teeth, you, you know, coated in golden and, and uh-huh. bold face type. Fuck you. That's, that's a statement. Um, he gets a that Casper's got this this house that's kind of like you know off the beaten path and it's not in L.A. and you know it's a little bit more low key and no one knew about it. It seems like yeah. except for this one prostitute. Uh, so Ray goes up there to investigate it and he finds creepy murder sex flop house with sound elaborate soundproofing treatment. Kind of looks like the Bald Moose Studio, honestly. Uh, <laughs> down to the animal heads and the sex wings. Casper has less masks though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um the camera attached to the hard drive to route or whatever um ray's kind of soaking all this in crow man comes in and shoots ray twice and i yep. my jaw was on the floor me too me too i'm problems thinking, oh my scene. god episode two they're really gonna kill colin farrell one of the the better actors in the show i you know i didn't think i was gonna like vince vaughn so i do now mm-hmm. um but yeah it shocked me too shocked the shit out of me and also, immediately as soon as this happened, I got online and I started seeing people speculate, well, what if he li- lives? And I, yeah. I was, I'm of the position that there better be a goddamn mind blowing, slap your mother type reason for him to not be killed in this scene, or else this is going to feel extremely cheap. I'm with you. This has got to come back. If if he is in fact not dead, it's got to come back in a way that makes total sense. And I got anything I'm, less and I will call bullshit. I, if 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 anything less than that, and I'm going to burn this entire podcast down, I don't care if you <laughs> you can run a paternity test on it. Uh-huh. I will still burn this podcast down. <laughs> so we've got that kind of stakes. Uh, yeah. Setting up for us. Yeah. All that shit's super interesting. I love the way that the, the stuff that you can draw between this sex stuff and any sister and all of this is really cool. We'll get into the psychosphere. Just for completion's sake, uh, Paul did break up with his girl. Well, actually, Paul's bro- girlfriend got tired of putting up with this shit and broke up with him. Yeah. Which I thought is going to be the, one of those weird situations where he just wasn't going to accept it. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but it seems like that, you know, he just wanted her to feel like the asshole. But I don't yeah. think he really cares about this girl. No, I don't think so either. Uh, I, we talked about how he might be closeted, so I d- I'm pretty sure, if anything, this is, you know, his beard or whatever. But uh-huh. he's not uh, interested. I don't think he cares he's that not much. interested in and sex at all. It doesn't seem like. It doesn't seem like there's anything he's interested in other than motorcycles. Like yeah. I want to ride. I all I want to do is ride my bike. Yeah, that is it. I want to ride it fast, and I want to ride it dark. I kind of get that because, like, I know you're not a motorcyclist. He's running. He's running, right? Like, but it's essentially something that fully occupies your mind. You can't drift off. You can't okay. like you. You have. You're constantly scanning the traffic and the road, and you know uh, it's more of a full body experience than driving. Like driving, you can kind of let your mind wander and whatever. You don't do that on a motorcycle, and maybe that's what it is—just the monotony of the white lines. And it, he's on the bike. He's not thinking about his past. His fucked up relationship with his mother, the fact that his dick's broke. It's it's just about, you know, well, riding I, See, I don't know that his dick is broke. If you go with the idea yeah, that his he's dick gay, just might want dudes instead of exactly, girls. Exactly, yeah. So yeah. um But but I I take your point, right? He's he's clearly running from his past. He wants yeah. to forget it. He doesn't want to think about it, and he doesn't want to talk about it. And I mean, if he's not if it's not taking his mind off his broke dick, it's taking his mind off the fact that he's not using it in its its optimum. <laughs> Optimum use pattern. Sure, yeah. <laughs> uh, the question I have is, what is what is he doing in this episode? After he breaks up with this girl, or she breaks up with him, whatever. Uh, I thought is he, he on official police business there, or is he out it, doing his we, thing? It's weird because he's not involved in a lot of the mechanics of the case. Like a lot of the actual boots on the ground work, he is not in on, and he begs off early from a lot of the other stuff. Now, yeah, part of that could be that he is. Uh, you know, he's actually going back and, and d- during while they're doing all this, he actually goes back and packs up a shit and comes back down so he can stay. Um, okay. Maybe that explains it, but I thought it was odd that he was kind of sidelined for most of this episode. Yeah, I couldn't tell if his stakeout here was actually a stakeout or if it was just him. I think that was just him at a hotel. Yeah, just hanging out, looking outside and... Mm-hmm. What's he doing? It did seem like he was running down some bank records and doing some stuff like that. Um, he mm. was he was doing some investigation work, but not okay. again. It seems like Annie and Ray were were all partnered up. Now maybe, yeah. you know, with Ray out of the picture, uh, it'll it, you'll go back. Now, and I do think it's interesting that I don't know. I guess if Annie is actually a lesbian. And Paul is actually a gay man and they have exactly the same problems in life and that putting them together would be kind of interesting. Huh. Okay. But yeah. I don't know. That's that's that seems kind of like the weirdest buddy cop movie ever. It doesn't seem very the closeted gay man, either, the closet right? the closeted lesbian and Well, it doesn't seem like Pizzolato to put two very like people together. Yeah. Like they want he wants them to have arguments. He wants mm. them to confront each other and butt heads. And yet, every like you know, we talked about last last episode. Every single one of these people has a some kind of sexual dysfunction, or yeah, like mostly daddy issues, I think, mm, uh, or mommy issues, as the case may be. Yeah, issues with their parents. I I think you know that stands true in reality as well. What do you think <laughs> of uh, one other thing before we move on to psychosphere? What do you think yeah. of Annie's statements about the sexes, the battle, the literal battle of the sexes? Ah, uh. I think the words that she speaks are true. 
That was one. I got to say that I I had a a a woman I was I'm a, a good friend of um, mentioned this to me about five years ago, and that was kind of the turning point of my kind of relationship with with feminism or or sexual issues. Where she said, "You you gotta understand is like you know you don't walk down a street and." mentally are, are aware that 50% of the people you meet can just overpower you for any reason. Yeah. They're yeah. not going to, uh-huh. but like, you know, and I'm thinking like, yeah, like when I, it's a mem, it's usually memorable when I come across a dude that I'm like, Ooh, I gotta keep my eye on him. You know, like I can, I can remember yeah. like in any given month, I can probably count on one hand the times that I'm like, Ooh, you know, just like peripherally, I'm aware that is a, a dude that looks like he could do me harm. Uh, I need to watch. Sure, and and but also, you're you're of of the male populace. You're a larger specimen. Sure, I can than most. Right? I don't like, tend to worry about getting beat up. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll tell you that with me, like being of shorter stature and not as big, it's, does it happen as much? It it. I mean, certainly, I'm not pretending like this happens to me on the basis that it happens to women, right? Okay. Like, that's not the case. I'm okay. just saying it's probably more frequent than you. Okay. Like I see a dude who's six three, and I'm like, oh, well, I don't think I could take him. Okay. Uh, okay whereas sure. you see a dude who's six seven, and yeah. say I probably couldn't take him, right? Yeah. Like it. Yeah. Sure. It's more of a monster. Yeah. Um. But but still, the point is like to that extent, it's 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 it. I think to I, and I, I know there's a lot of women that 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 you, you say that and it kind of drives me crazy. Cause like, I don't, that's not how I live my life. I don't live my life in constant fear. Sure. Me either. Yeah. But it's a rational thing. It's a rational yes. reaction to have. Yeah. And that's why I say the stuff she's saying about that is true. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think that this is uh checkoffs, multiple knife stab wounds <laughs> scenario? Gotta be that right? she is going to go full on Ginsu knife on some dude. I can't imagine that it's not, or, mm. She's going to get her own weapons used against her, maybe, if mm. you want to flip it. I don't know. Mm. But but I feel like there's a reason they showed us the belt buckle. Well, that's the thing. Like, she's got so many weapons on her that, yeah, even if someone turns the tables against her, like, she's got six more. Sure. And ones they probably don't know about. Hmm. That'd be interesting. Because, like, usually when you have a tough girl, like, you know, it's essentially they just make her an action hero where she yeah. punches as strong and hard as the men and she breaks the arms. Sure. Like, I think it would actually be kind of interesting to see an action scene where a larger assailant goes at her and she just goes into, like, Wolverine mode. Like, it's uh-huh. just vicious right at the jugular. It's not artful. It's not powerful. It's just her killing the dude. Yeah, like the proverbial knee to the balls, right? Like, yeah, or, yeah. I mean, yeah. it'll be much more violent. Blade than that, to the jugular. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got that to look forward to. <laughs> All right. All right. Are you ready to take a sniff at the psychosphere? Oh, yeah. I have mixed feelings about how into this I already am because one of the things we took away from season one is we are going to really try hard, <laughs> try hard to stay away from from huffing this too strong. We're going to try to pr- yeah. keep our brain cells. Um, but there's some shit that's just so fucking compelling that I feel myself jumping on this this psychosphere bandwagon with both feet. And yeah, even though Pizzolatto says there's not going to be as much occult stuff and it's going to be much more straightforward, I this goes back into our debate about whether he's a liar or not. I don't think that this is a man who's above telling fibs to 
to, to get us to, to be in a mindset that is susceptible to something mind-blowing, or he hopes it will be mind-blowing. Okay, I can see that. Before we go really off the deep end, because wait until yeah. you get to the oh, end yeah. of this fucking thing. By the way, we have an honest-to-God spoiler that we're mm-hmm. going to save it to the very end of the podcast, that if you do not want to know definitively what happens in the next episode or two or the weeks to come, um, there's a pretty big one that, that we've got that that uh, was leaked to us, uh, and then we're going to save that to the very end of the podcast. So if you if you want to see that, if you want to hear that, rather, uh, you can join us then. If not, you know, that's our policy that we don't spoil. This stuff is all speculation. It's not based on any advanced information. Yep. Anyway, Gary A. says, The second the mass figure moved into the frame, I immediately thought of the movie Judex, a French film from 1963 based on an old serial. Early in the film, it features a bizarre party sequence in which guests are dressed in formal black tie garb and a series of ornate human-sized bird masks that look identical to the ones worn by the person who shot Ray uh, Velcoro. And he includes a screenshot of this. By the way, this movie you can watch in its entirety on Hulu Plus, if you're a member. Hmm. Uh, you can watch that for free. It's about 90 minutes long. Um, but, yeah, it looks like dudes wearing tuxedos and ballroom gowns, and they all have bird masks on. Um, there's a plot description that he included. Uh, a character called Favro. An unscrupulous banker receives a threatening note signed by Judex, which is Latin for judge, demanding that he pay back to the people what he has swindled. He refuses, and apparently he dies after midnight toast at his masked ball. However, Mm. he's only drugged by Judex and locked away. Judex spares his life when the banker's widow's daughter, Jacqueline, rejects the inheritance. Meanwhile, Diana Monty, the former governess, kidnaps Jacqueline to try to get the banker's money back, but Judex is hot on her trail. So we've got a lot of parallels here. Um, Number one, the bird masks. Number two, a a public official stealing money from the people or from or for ill gotten gains and embezzling them. Yeah. Um, But I also thought it was interesting that the guy's wife was involved, too. Hmm. Okay. And there's also a lot of other connections, you know, I, I. there, there seems to be a lot more going on with Frank's wife than we first see. And I wonder if one of the things we're going to find out is somehow that um, Frank's consigliere, the redhead, you know, potential rapist theory. I wonder if he's connected with her as well, because they both have red hair and that's nothing. That's just kind of like a thematic or visual connection. But also he mentions him in this episode. Frank mentions um, that guy in this episode. Yeah, right? that's one of the things I wanted to talk about. The fact that he says, um, you know, Blake, at, I think is his name. Yeah. At one point, uh, he's going in that scene where he's calling in all the soldiers. He's yeah. like, get everybody. Frankie Four Fingers. Ivar. Yeah. Sure. Teddy Two Times. All the, all, all <laughs> the, you know, Plastic Face, all those guys, all the Dick Tracy guys. He says, and fucking Blake, where the fuck he's been. Yeah. This is his right hand man in the middle of this crisis and he's nowhere to be seen. Hmm. I thought that was, significant and interesting yeah yeah what it means i couldn't tell you but. and again i didn't have anything that's like a smoking gun for his wife other than what made me start thinking is when uh gary sent in this stuff from about judex so okay uh again all the images that i'm mentioning here is linked in the psychosphere section of the show notes you can find those on baldmove.com embedded in the article that we post with the podcast and mostly mostly you can see that stuff on your podcast player i know the one that i do you can just swipe over to see the show notes and follow along um, what did you think about the fact that the opening song had some notable differences in which part of the Cohen um, song that they quoted? 
Um, I didn't notice them until the internet pointed them out, mm. obviously. Um, there's just like a, the line at the end just changed. Yeah, know? the first one ended with, I was not caught, though many tried. I live among you well disguised. The second was, there's truth that lives and truth that dies. I don't know which, so never mind. Sure, and I was thinking, you know, this falls in with your, what is truth, what is fiction mm-hmm. here coming from Pizzolatto. Uh, that that idea is certainly in there. I'm a suck because that's one of the things I really dug about Banshee is their opening credit sequence subtly changes as the season goes on to mm-hmm. give you kind yeah. of thematic clues of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I live among you well disguised could talk about like Casper and the fact that he was this massive sexual deviant, but public figure. It could also um, be frank that he's masquerading as a respectable businessman and this confident person when really he's this six-year-old child is locked in a basement and in this episode there's a truth that lives and truth that dies where you've got like official competing stories for what is true and what's false around paul around yeah. Annie, uh, like all the major characters and it's going to be cool i think if every single episode has a different ending line that says something about the episode so that's something that yeah, I mean, we might want to flag for for paying attention in the future. Definitely. I, I think, to me, it spoke to a larger uh, organizational thing, right? It's not it's not just Casper who's involved in this. Um, you know, living among you in disguise is more of like all of these politicians, sure. all of these powerful people involved in these things that go on behind closed doors. Uh, and the snuff house which we're going to get to the snuff house, the greater snuff yeah, this house is cool. theory. This is the part where I'm like, all right, all right, the plot hooked me here. We, uh, you, You'll notice that there's four animal masks against the soundproofing right behind the sex swing, mm-hmm. right in the area right before he finds the camera. There's four, there's is three animal heads. There's a lion, there's a bull, and there's what appears to be a horse. And then there is an empty bust like where you would put you know, like one of the mannequin heads where you'd put a mask over it. Yeah. Strongly implying that that is where the Raven mask sits. Yes. And that... And strongly implying, I think, that the person wearing the Raven mask is part of this. Well... I think, personally. Because why why pick the Raven mask? I mean, that would be my first question, right? All right. So let's. I'll get to the second email. Double uh, A Ron T said, "My question is, did they really just Game of Thrones Colin Farrell in the second episode?" <laughs> uh, he says, "I don't know what to think, but why wouldn't he be dead?" And that's the key question because we both said, "If yes. Colin Farrell is alive, we're going to fucking riot." Sure. I backed off on that some once I considered this this snuff house theory, and I'm going to try to briefly summarize it. Um, you know. It looks like that Casper's property here in Hollywood is being mm. used to stage some kind of snuff film. Sure. You because got you, the sex swing. You've got the blood on the floor. But, okay. Yeah. You know, and then right in front of all this, you've got a camera rigged up. Uh-huh. You've okay. got soundproofing on the walls. Yeah. And it's is it possible because because you say that the the birdman is involved in this i'm going to say that the birdman is like a batman type character that's trying to seek out vengeance against these people um so, so you're just you're saying that grabbing the bird mask is random no it's it's, it's probably intentional it's intended to send the message and you imagine is the bird mask casper's i mean wh- what let's let me get why let, the bird mask okay why let's, not let's, the let's lion get this whole or, theory out here okay okay um so like you know you got this the, the the theory here is that the Birdman and possibly the Birdman being a Bird Woman 
uh, more specifically an escaped victim of sex trafficking. And you got yeah. the MO, which is the burned out eyeballs, the mutilated genitals. Seems very specific to someone who would be wanting, you know, vengeance against males. All right. Uh, that are involved in, in this sexual slavery. Um, there's a couple things to point out. You got this enhanced privacy. You know, Casper's a guy that we kind of said lived in plain sight. You go to his mansion, it's all this sex stuff all the time. But he's yeah. got this super secret sex dungeon uh, far away from L.A. that's mm-hmm. free of uh, oversight. You got masks readily available so people can mask their uh, public identity when they're doing this supposed snuff film stuff. Sure. Um, you also know that Casper uh, frequently hires prostitutes, but he doesn't use his Hollywood residence. That's another thing we learned in this. You know, he's seen- and you know that he's making four thousand dollar withdrawals every so often. Right. He's got these dates circled on his calendar. Right. And no one knew about this Hollywood residence, anyone except for another hooker, which that's a part Ooh. of the problem I have with the theory. But we'll get to that there. Those are the blank days in Casper's calendar that happen once a month. Um, Casper's car doesn't move during this period. He draw withdraws four thousand dollars from an ATM. Um, and he also is is in in Hollywood, according to the bank records of the withdrawals. Um, there's an alternate theory that because this so this theory essentially says that Casper is taking four thousand dollars, he's hiring an escort, he's driving her up to this uh, uh this snuff house, and they're killing her on camera. Him and some accomplices are killing her on camera. Another sure. theory is that Casper's just the bankroll behind it. And he's actually watching along with their internet. This is the one I like better. Yeah. I do too. Um, that he's got some kind of webcam set up in his snuff house. Um, yeah. That the shrink that we met is played by uh, Rick Springfield. Yeah. And all the prostitutes we talked to both comment on that he's kind of a meek passive. He just likes to sit and watch. Mm-hmm. This is also would make complete sense that he has his eyeballs burnt out. Exactly. Punish him as a watcher. Yeah. And it's also interesting that someone broke into his real, his first home mm-hmm. and stole his laptop. Yeah. Stole his computer. Which would Looking, be... obviously, for some files. Or for... trying to prevent the police from making it, because this is going to my next theory. Yes. This, to prevent the police from following this this lead. Sure. That that would potentially be, okay, Casper is, is somehow using this snuff ring as leverage against someone. Uh, they are taking revenge on him and trying to get rid of evidence at the same time is is where my head takes me. Well, there's also another interesting thing that Annie's father, when he was talking to her, he mentioned something kind of off the cuff about that totem poles features spirits that watch over the dead. Totem poles mm-hmm. often have Bird heads animal and, faces yeah. on it. Um, this ties into the Raven being a most a Batman character, that it's literally a spirit of vengeance that is guarding over the dead and is 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 their agent of vengeance on on the planet. But you also know that the the mask itself is mixed up in this operation. So Right, but so so my thought on that is if I am the Raven and I want to strike vengeance and terror and 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 get maximum vengeance on somebody, what better way to do that than show up at their house wearing the mask that I know they use to torture and murder young girls. I want to show up yeah. at that hat and, and use that. Cause we also know that I agree, Casper clearly, was tortured for information. Clearly and the he died Raven, of a heart attack. The Raven mask does not mean that to this ring to, to these people. No, it doesn't mean vengeance and that sort of thing. But you know, you so using a symbol that they believe means something else to kill them is not 
I, I don't know. That doesn't seem to jive in my head. Well, what? But exactly. I think the problem is there is that the mask might not mean anything to these people. It's just a mask that they wear sure. yeah. to hide their identity. The Raven is using this as the scariest one. I mean, know. that removes the the kind of cult angle, though. Of course, what's fine. I'm yeah. I'm I'm fine with removing the cult angle. This could just be like you know, literal Batman. Or it's a it's a crow person or crow woman. Um, mm. So anyway, one of the problems is. Why would the crow this this actually solves one of the problems I have with perhaps Ray coming back, which is why would the crow if she if, if they're involved in the actual snuff house, why would they allow a police officer to live? My theory is that. If 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 I'm if I'm a former sex worker or I'm a boyfriend or girlfriend of one of these sex workers that's been snuffed out and I know about Casper and I go and torture him and I find out about this this residence and I'm the only one that knows about it, then why wouldn't I stake out this place and see who shows up? If the cops show up, okay. then fine, whatever. But if one lone dude shows up. Isn't it likely that that person is involved somehow in the larger scheme? Sure. Yeah. I think and if so. I incapacitate that person and wound them and then let them go, I can actually follow them back to the den yes. that they originate from. And then and I've got other leads and I can take down the whole thing. It completely makes sense. The one thing I don't think lines up here is the message that was clearly being sent in the first episode by dropping this body off next to a catalyst sign. Uh, to me, that says we know catalyst is involved, and here's something that's going to blow this open. Okay, in a, what, in a way that how's that make, a problem? Because that could just be a wider scope. The the I no uh, certainly, and uh -huh. I think there is a wider scope, and I think that's why I don't believe that this is like an ex sex worker or okay. or some somebody seeking vengeance only for this sex thing. I think it's someone within the ring who discovered what Casper was doing, stealing money from them. I, you know, that's Do you obviously think what he involved? does. Frank's not involved. No, no, no. I don't, I don't okay. think Frank's involved. I think someone who is involved in this sex ring, also involved in some important political stuff, is is the one doing this hmm. as as revenge for something that Casper did to screw them over, just like he screwed over Frank. The big problem with this. Um, you know, a Raven Knight Batman type thing, or the fact that this is a snuff house, snuff film house, is how would the prostitute at the club know the address? This seems like the type of yeah. place that you show up to once and then you leave in several parts wrapped in plastic bags. Yeah, and that's that's a problem. Um, and that's another reason why. Well, okay, like, so that's a problem within the show, right? Uh -huh. Like that piece of the plot doesn't seem to line up. A lot of people are saying, oh, maybe they groom them. You know, maybe. Maybe they're invited out there a couple of times. They don't they don't get killed immediately and you know they do some weird stuff, but it's nothing dangerous, and so they keep coming back and eventually they kill them. I don't think that makes sense. Okay. So, so I, I don't have a good answer for that. So let's go with some possible crow identity. And I'm gonna go I, some of these first two kind of tie into ex-sex worker or women with some kind of vengeance motive. Um uh -huh. the girl with the scars, facial scarring at the bar. Just because she seems like she tries to get close to Ray, Ray is also Frank's inside man. Yeah, like I'm gonna go with a big fat no on this. Okay, me too. <laughs> me too. Okay. What about Casper's assistant? We met his assistant last episode, and she was this kind of ditzy redhead that just started the job six weeks ago. Doesn't really know a lot what's going on. What if his former assistant found out about all this stuff, couldn't stomach it, 
quit the job and then went rogue and then came back or alternatively what if the new girl is the crow yeah. and she took this job just to get close to Casper and shut him down so did she create this opening this position I mean <laughs> by, that's by snuffing out the other girl that is a possibility it's kind of dark but it's it is pretty it's dark. undeniably a possibility sure uh yeah I think it's also interesting mixed in with the idea that Casper might be watching these things happen from a distance what if he's watching these at work what if that you know it's a terrible idea for him to be doing that but mm. what if he is and what if this assistant found out about it sure that kind of thing you know uh definitely let's see what else here um okay so what about the therapist this is a good one so there's a lot of different things here number one uh you see the therapist. there's a scene of him sitting behind the desk and he's wearing these kind of stylish Italian half boots. I don't know what you call those, but they're the boots that they're not, they're, they don't, they come yeah, past your ankle, boots. but not, okay, yeah. low cut boots. Mm-hmm. Um, if you then compare those to a picture of the crow when he steps out of his car to drop off Casper at the, you know, roadside stop, yeah. the boots look extremely similar. Sure. In fact, we also compared that uh, to some images from the crow as he approached, as he or she approached, uh, uh, Ray to finish him off. Yeah. And the the boots again look very similar to the one that this is this guy's wearing. Also, check out this picture that is in his office. Mm, it is bird. it is like I you know I referred to him on the forums as either a dark toucan Sam yeah. or very much a <laughs> it's it's a headdress. It's actually a picture of a person wearing a headdress that looks like a giant beaked bird. Yep. Pretty kind of smoking gun type stuff. And and I'm saving the best for last because there's a lot of insane connections to the broader kind of sprawl that I'm that I'm about to blow the lid off on here. Um, I'll take a little break from this. There's a lot more um, Oedipus complex stuff. We talked about okay. last uh, episode, some of the connections, the, um, you With know, Paul Antigone and, and, uh, okay. and Opetus. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, we also know that Opetus's mother... Uh, he eventually had sex with, and yep. we meet Paul's mother. Yep. It was definite kind of like, ooh. Creepy vibes there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, an- another one that I don't really know what to make of is uh, this Orion, the Constellation Orion, which if you were with us last season uh, when we did our recap, we talked on the the, the kind of like the overall wrap-up podcast Talked about the constellation Orion, how it was seen as one of the last things in the fine in, in the final moments of True Detective season one. Yeah. And we talked about how its connection with the ancient constellation, the sorcerer, et cetera, et cetera. It's back. Paul looks out of his mother's eight mile trailer shack mm-hmm. and he's looking at Orion. However, this version of Orion is missing the third star in its belt. Yeah. I don't. You know, this is the where you, the psychosphere gets kind of weird. I don't know what it means, but the mis- <laughs> and I don't even know if it's real, right? Yeah, because you am mentioned- I seeing a cloud covering a star? Am I seeing yeah, it, you know, just a distortion of light? What what? How am the I hell do you here? see this many stars in L.A. anyway? <laughs> there's, there's that. Yeah, there's, I don't think you could probably see maybe three stars in L.A. If you but you look at this side by side, and there's a lot of stars you can't see in some pictures, and you do see in others. Sure, sure. It it could literally just be. You don't see it in the picture, but is it, it is conspicuous. I, I mean, one one obvious thing to point out is that uh, the the quote unquote kill shot that the crow makes on Ray is approximately the same position on Orion's body uh-huh. that the star is missing. Hmm. 
Okay. I mean, like I said, I don't, I don't know if this is interesting. I, this this is, is more this like is one of the few things that I want to shit on in all the right. psychosphere. And that's fine. So this far. is more of like a flag, a, a, a flag for, for something to notice and keep in mind for the future. And I mean, then you have to say, what does it actually mean, right? Okay. And that's an entirely different question. And it's one that I don't know that I have a good answer to. Another red flag. The mayor talks about his son, how he can't handle the deep trip and he's become a degenerate monster and he's coked out of his mind. Yeah. Possible suspect. Huh, maybe. maybe. He's turning against his old man and the corruption, or he's trying to unseat his old man. I mean, I don't I don't know. We have not a lot of there yet. there yet. It's another just a red flag. Sure. A red flag. Uh okay, here's the big thing. This is the Moloch theory. Oh boy. And I first I came at this and I'm like, this is a bunch of bullshit. And as the connections started building from disparate sources, I started to really pick up and pay attention. So Last episode, when Ray came up to beat the shit out of uh, Aspen's father, yeah. when uh, Aspen's father meets him at the door, he opens up and there's a prominent picture of Luna Park. Also, this scene immediately came after Ray recorded a memo to his son talking about he wanted to be an astronaut. Astronauts don't go to the moon anymore. And then you go and mm-hmm. you see this picture of Luna Park, which is a component of Coney Island in New York. But there's also a sister park in, I guess, Australia. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, that park looks like this. You can see it's it's literally the same park. It okay? is. Describe it. It's, it's it's what looks like the moon eating you as you walk into. Yeah, the it's theme like a giant with moon its mouth face open. with a big lurid grin, and it's kind of like in the shape of an arch with two towers. And this is like the front gate of Luna Park. You walk into. Yeah. Um, one thing someone noticed on the internet is there's a story of the Luna Park in Sydney, Australia. That in 1979, seven people, including six children and one adult, people died in a fire in a train ride on this park. Now, there's an urban legend that states that the fire was not accidental. This is true-ish, and the <laughs> fact that this is really an urban legend, this really happened. Yeah. Um, the part that's true-ish is the urban legend part, that this was not an accidental fire, but this was actually a planned sacrifice to a pagan god named Moloch, which is, you know, if you're a Bible scholar, you'll know that that was one of the Canaanite Amalekite, you know, gods that pass children through the fire as a form of human sacrifice. Okay. Um, if you want to get really freaked out, and again, this stuff is all in the the spoiler section, or not the spoiler section, the psychosphere spec- section, there is a photo of one of the children that died. The last known photo of him is standing with this weird bull god figure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's creepy. And this is a real photo. This is a real photo from right. the the files, okay? Um, and Do we this know is, that because this this is this image I'm seeing is stamped with facebook.com slash the paranormal guide at sure, the bottom. Sure. Is this a real actual image from another source or is this the only version of it? You I found? don't know. I maybe I can find I can find that out. But okay. I'm saying this is I'm purported. Curious, no but... one has said no, this is bullshit. All right. So uh so anyway. Um, well, I think it's weird also that the kid is in color and that the the weird looking masked guy is not, which makes me no, wonder. he's totally in color. You can see that's just his costume, like you can see there's his abs and his arms, yeah, and well, the parts dangling off his. He's just wearing what about black the background? And, uh, that seems like it's just blue haze, and this is like a pull, it's like a 70s Polaroid or whatever. Okay, all right, <laughs> anyway, let's I'll let the people be the judge. All right, I want to talk to you about the Bohemian Club. What is that? This is a club that's like, like a, like a 400, 500 acre ranch in California, where every year there's a three-weekend, two-week-long retreat of the most rich and powerful men in the world. We're talking about 
presidents. We're talking about Supreme Court justices. We're talking about Walter Cronkite was a member, uh, people that works in defense contracts. I mean, this is like all the kind of bullshit Illuminati conspiracy, only it's it's real and it's kind of a rich person's retreat. And there's been okay. several documentaries where people sneak in and they film part of the proceedings and they do a lot of kind of like, you know, um, Mace Masonic rituals. Yeah, yeah. I'm thinking of that one Paul Walker movie from a long time ago where he's in Princeton or whatever and gets mixed up in it. Bones, the so, something about yeah, it could be Bones I Society. I, I don't know. I'm not familiar <laughs> with that. But this is right. it's re, it's located in um, Sonoma Valley's Russian River Valley, which is okay. kind of sort of where the good people's ranch was kind of associated with. So it's like, yeah, yeah. are people were, I'm wondering if this, um, uh, Bohemian club is supposed to be an analogy to the Polyponesian pineapple club. Okay. That's probably not far off. Uh, so anyway, you also remember that Annie's father referenced Ginsburg, the poet Ginsburg and his writings. One of his most prominent one, Howell, mentions Moloch like 35 times and it's this hmm. it's it's this it's Moloch is supposed to represent American city and capitalism so there's a very strong connection to Vinci already in here and we already had yeah. Annie's dad do the name drop on Ginsburg so there if you look at the therapist office on this next image there is a picture standing uh, uh, of him standing in front of that looks like a I don't know, a boat with a shadowy figure um, standing that's floating in front of this kind of misty background. Mm -hmm. And then I want to direct your attention to an actual real photo of one of the rituals that goes on at the Bohemian Club. This is what they call um, Pyre of Concern or something like that, where they symbolically burn all of life's worries away. Um, (laughs) And they do it in front of this giant um, concrete, supposedly owl. And the really okay. weird thing is Walter Cronkite used to be the voice of the owl in the ceremony. <laughs> but they get this big wow. bonfire and they burn it in front of this old looking kind of pagan god. Now, there's one documentary that came out in like the late 80s. Uh, and again, a kook made it. But he said that this was actually a sacrifice to Molech. Hmm. This was the, the, to and there's actually occult things that happened. But this is I a. Mean, so Molech is the god of capitalism. Like what is that what you're saying here? Man, you're 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 harshing my psychosphere vibe, man. I don't know I mean, I'm what not, I'm saying. I'm just saying. I'm trying to draw the connection between this Luna thing, okay, and this Molech thing, and the capitalism and corruption. I'm I'm not trying to shit on it. I'm trying to actually draw the connection. And like that's where, right where I've been these last three okay. days. All right, <laughs> because there is something involved with this real life Bohemian society that is an an an, an analog of the yeah. Peloponnesian Pineapple Institute. Okay. Uh, and there is an, there is a piece cause I, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that that's true, that he is intentionally making this illusion and you go uh-huh. and look, read the Bohemian Grove article on Wikipedia and you can see these stock images of like, you know, things that have leaked out. And this image bears a striking resemblance to another image that's in this therapist office, which is another connection to him being part of this perhaps snuff murder cult. Okay. And another connection to him being a crow. Yeah. And the fact that Moloch, you know, there is no connection between Luna Park and Bohemian Grove, except for the mention of Moloch and children dying. I mean, frankly, I could I could question the real Bohemian society and say, what is your connection to Moloch? Well, they'd say it's nothing. This is this is all pretend shit like, you know, and there's like really juvenile shit. Like one of the big traditions is you go around naked 
Imagine Richard Nixon going around naked with uh, a can ugh. of beer in one hand and his dick in the other and just pissing everywhere. That's seriously, that's one of the things they do. They don't have bathrooms. They piss and shit just anywhere. Okay, yeah. That's one of the things. It's like Sounds some, like a good time, uh-huh. Yeah, it's it's some <laughs> real crazy stuff. Um, they would say, this is just all a bunch of rich kid, you know, whatever. We're just having fun. But, yeah, yeah. But, you know, if you're a, a cultist or an occult studier, you would say, and again, that's the thing. Like, this is fiction, so I have no problem saying that these people are actually worshiping oh, yeah. Molech. No, me too. I'm saying Annie's father talking about a poet who's one of his most famous poems is Moloch, 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 Moloch. Yeah. And you got the Bohemian Grove Society potentially setting up pot funeral pyres mm-hmm. for ancient gods and worshiping Molech. And you've got this fucking Luna Park, which was prominently for no reason mentioned in the background that also by urban legend that if in a fictional world I could believe is true, was an intentional burning of children offering up to the god of Molech. Yeah. That is something. And if that turns out to be some spiral graph drawings on the fucking uh, family <laughs> some, room wall from season one, I uh, might be done the true detective forever. <laughs> I swear to God, because there's right, no way right. this is unintentional. Just three completely separate sources with the same weird pagan God. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm with you. My brain's something... ate up with the psychosphere. It's only second episode. <laughs> yeah. No, it's good stuff. I, I see the connections. I think they're there to be made. And I'm with you, man. If they don't pay off some of this shit, what are we to do? Yeah. I mean, what am I, I to do? I let out some of the craze, like, you know, people are like, that geode on his desk looks like a vagina. Yeah, obviously. And, you know, it's like, okay, maybe. But I, there so is, what? <laughs> I don't know what's here, there, or what's yeah. there, there, but there is something there. And I want, yeah. and you want to lose your mind, go read Ginsburg's Howl, go read, you know, print out the 30 page article on the Bohemian Grove and take that uh, to the shitter and look at these images and lose your mind. In places deep with roots entwined, I live the life I live back. If you'd like to send in your feedback, you can do so by emailing it to truedetective at baldmove.com. You can find all of our content at baldmove.com and participate in our discussion forums. Keep up with our latest release schedules by liking us on Facebook or following us on Twitter. I live among you, well disguised. So as promised, we have some spoiler stuff to talk about. All right. The spoiler is the fact that according to leaked pictures... Uh, mm-hmm. Ray, in fact, did survive the encounter with the crow. And IMDb lists him throughout the whole series. Yeah, there's a picture of him later on just riding in a car with Annie, and there's another picture of him with his shirt off, and he looks like he's sitting on the back of an ambulance, and his his midsection's all wrapped up, yeah. and she's talking to him. Uh, it seems like he survived, and I will say that it looked to me on, on further review that, that the crow was using less lethal rounds some kind of beanbag or wax bullet type round potentially yeah i mean when he shoots him with that first blast the wall behind him is white he mm-hmm. smashes up against it and there's no blood what i i it may if be you're if wearing a, a vest, vest yeah maybe it doesn't get through two layers of vest but um, you pointed at someone's gut from that point blank range yeah. and if that's like the super x buckshot whatever you're going to get some mess like a bulletproof yeah. vest will not protect you from that close range blast and I think the argument that you're trying to incapacitate this guy holds up because on second viewing, I I noticed that he's not actually unconscious after that first blast. Right. He's kind of rolling his eyes around. He's in pain. But yeah. the second one is meant to knock him out. And again, I if 
and I don't, it doesn't have to be this theory. I'm not in love with this pet theory that it's like the crow is essentially using him for bait to lure it back to the, you know, to, to uncover the bra. I think that's cool. That yeah. definitely crosses the bar of that is something that I will excuse this bullshit cliffhanger. Yeah, me too. But if it's just, you know, clank, clank, he's alive and there's no rhyme or reason for why he was left alive and that's never a solved mystery, I'm going to be pretty fucking pissed. But instead of being instantly pissed like I was, you know, yeah, when I first pissed, I was re like you and I both. Were I was like, I think I shouted fuck you at my screen. Like, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> if he's coming back after that, it's like it's just total bullshit. And I, it's starting to make sense because I'm like after this episode, I'm like. Alan Sepinwall and Pawnee Wozniak and all these guys saw three episodes of True Detective and came back meh. And I'm yeah. in two episodes in and I'm like, I do not understand that reaction. If they came back with the third episode and he's just alive and they don't have the benefit of going through and yeah. reading feedback and sniffing the psychosphere and seeing where this is all going, I can see just like I'm I'm done. Uh, this is this is stupid. Like I was intrigued because Alan Zeppelin's reviews, like he was very intrigued with the balls and the chutzpah to shoot one of your main characters in the second episode. That's very like game. It's even better in Game of Thrones. Ned made it to episode nine, right? Yeah. I mean, when I saw it the first time, I definitely was surprised by it. So if he's not dead, it's going to take that factor away a little bit. Yeah. You know, you know, Monday morning when I read the theories of him being alive and saw the photographic evidence, which I'm not going to I'm not going to include, you know, you can find it if you want, but they're kind of leaked and I don't know what the legality is on that. I'm not going to link to it. Um, I mean, what is the photographic evidence? There's no blood. No, the fact that you can just see him in leaked uh, screener stuff. You can actually see him alive. Okay, so that's conclusive proof. There's no like wiggle room unless it's some kind. You know, you mentioned there might be, but there's no way he's got a bandaged tummy. That's the thing. Like sometimes rewrites happen and footage that's in promos gets no cut and way. never shown in and, the show. And, and him being in every episode on IMDb, which, you know, IMDb. I complete, I complete, IMDb is also faulty. I completely agree with you. I don't think that's the case, but it does happen. I'm like so. 97.9% sure that yeah. he's going to be coming back for the rest of the season. And he might die later, but certainly for the next few episodes, he's going to be a big part of, which I, I'm kind of glad. I, I don't know. I had mixed feelings because when I was trying to struggle to figure this out on Saturday, Sunday night, because on the one hand, it makes sense to kill this guy. You've taken everything he has. He's talking about killing himself. Yeah. It would be interesting to have this character. Who's like this archetype of everything that people bitch about Pizzolatto writing. And you just kill him in a second episode. And then you make it about Annie and Paul Uh and Frank. That would, it's kind of interesting. And narratively it makes sense because what other story does this guy have to tell? I mean, am I that really invested in him earning back a spot with his son after last episode? Not really. So no. I was I was on the like, this is kind of cool. But now when I look at the snuff house theory and, you know, maybe the crows like this Batman figure, because that's the thing. Um, if 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 the crow spares Ray's life, then from my perspective, this crow, if you buy into vigilante justice, is a fairly righteous person. Yeah, that's a part of Valcora's character that I'm interested in, is where's the line for him? Yeah. You know, he may be able to do Frank's bidding, and it might take its toll on him as a human being, but if he finds out that snuff tapes are being made here and women are losing their lives, is he going to be okay with that? Like, I will help you brutalize other criminals and yeah. maintain control of your criminal empire, because you seem to strike yeah. me as a 
criminal with a conscience and a code and a heart, and I can work with you. If you're involved in this snuff shit or you're abusing civilians, that's where you got to draw the line. Yeah. So that's the part that interests me. I want to see where that line is for him. Yeah. But no, I was briefly excited on Monday. It's like, man, I've never really just completely destroyed a television show on a podcast before. I mean, like season three finale of Walking <laughs> Dead aside. Oh, God. I've never just been like, I, this is unexcusable bullshit. And I was kind of like, I wonder how this is going to play. But things have turned around, it appears. 